Uh, welcome. Sure. I'm Alex Jones. I think I know most everybody here, but uh, I'm the director of the Shortstein Center. And welcome to our round bag lunch today. Uh, the, I was telling Dan, who is a, an extraordinary cartoonist at the Washington Star first and then at the Boston Globe, uh, that the last time we had a cartoonist, it was uh, Doug Marlette, who was a friend of mine and a friend of Dan's and who died very tragically, uh, actually soon before he was scheduled to come back for another visit. Um, Doug Marlette, and I think is sort of emblematic of, of what my sense of uh, editorial cartoonists are at heart. He effectively described himself as a savage. <laughs> and I think that the power of editorial cartoons is that they uh, really are able to tap into a kind of anger and, um, and powerful emotion as well as an intellectual uh, message. So powerful, in fact, that when Adolf Ox acquired the New York Times, he made a policy decision not to have an editorial cartoonist on the staff because he felt that it would completely overshadow the editorials that the New York Times published. Because as you all know, when you go to an editorial page and there's an editorial cartoon, that's the first spot your eye goes to. Uh, Dan has won many awards. He's very well uh, known and respected. And among uh, journalists and among editorial cartoonists, it's a great pleasure to have you with us. Thanks. Thank you very much. Um, I am, I've prepared a, a series of uh, slides of my work and uh, have some tales to tell about how they came about and what I tried was trying to do when I drew them. But I am perfectly comfortable having this be a, a conversation more than a lecture. So if I come upon something that triggers a thought, uh, please raise your hand, chime in. If it's something I'm going to cover later, I'll let you know. If it's something that I'd rather not answer, I'll ignore you. Uh, and uh, I, my understanding is we have an hour. Is that, yeah. is that correct? Okay. Uh, I, I join you here as a member of uh, something of an endangered species. When I started uh, drawing editorial cartoons professionally, uh, over 30 years ago, there were about 150, 160 full-time editorial cartoonists in the country. Today, the number is fewer than 50. Mm -hmm. And the main reason, main reason for that is uh, loss of habitat. Uh, the, the shrinkage of the number of newspapers uh, is significant. And the shrinkage in the number of newspapers that are willing to put up with uh, a savage on their staff uh, is, is also uh, diminishing. Uh, the, the concentration on the bottom line, uh, the, the worry about offending uh, readers and losing uh, subscribers. I mean, there are people in my own company who think of me as the anti-circulation department. <laughs> uh, all those things mean that there are fewer newspapers who are willing to have somebody uh, on their staff whose job is to uh, snap people's head back at, at breakfast. And uh, so I, I think I, I think journalism is, is diminished by that. I just don't speak just out of self-interest, but as a reader as well, uh, not having that kind of um, sharp, pungent, satirical, graphic commentary. Uh, 
uh, Alex made reference to Doug Marlett. One of the things he used to say about cartooning was that the, the newspaper is fairly controlled, it's well edited, it's, it's laid out in a, in, a, in a fashion that's predictable, it's a kind of piece of scripted music, and then right in the middle of it you have this rock and roll band in the form of the cartoon that's visceral and arresting and uh, disturbing to people. But that's its job. And uh, so anyway, I, I, that's my little intro on the state of the profession. Here is uh, um, a little review of my work and some things that I've thought about uh, the last couple of decades of, of, of drawing. Um, I think most of you are familiar with my, my home uh, at the Globe. This is, this is my rectangle here. Um, my responsibility is four cartoons a week, sometimes more if uh, the news is uh, breaking fast. So uh, this is this morning's cartoon. Do you want the lights totally off? Or is what, whatever. Uh, I'm familiar with the cartoon, so I can see them fine. I, I don't want people to lose track of their lunch, but it, I, I don't know. Is that, is that crisp enough in the back? Good. Okay. Uh, so this is a subject I've come back to quite a bit over the last couple of years since the uh, crash of 08, which is uh, the banking industry. Uh, and uh, uh, it's, um, one, bear with me one second here for a little technical fix. Uh, done. That wasn't too painful. <clears throat> And it's come up, uh, you know, in, in various ways. This is uh, the Occupy Boston movement um, that uh, I, I find a fascinating and somewhat heartening phenomenon. But the nice, nice thing about my job is that I can bounce around and comment on just about anything that's going on. We had a terrific piece in the Boston Globe last week about how the fish that you order is not the fish you end up eating. Uh, I don't know if people saw that, but this is, and actually the latest Consumer Reports has a, has a, has a similar investigation. Uh, but the, um, uh, if you didn't read it, go back and read it before you, before you order sushi again. Well, you know what? It's interesting that you asked that, because originally under there I had a uh, caption that said, um, uh, it isn't fresh, but it isn't beagle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and my copy editor said, you know, that's very funny, but legal seafood actually doesn't come off badly in this series. And I said, you know, you're right. Nice catch. And I changed it. Uh, so I don't think that's so close to their uh, slogan that, that, that they would feel singled out. Uh, have you had people threaten lawsuits because of that sort of... Yeah, yeah, but they, they don't really have much standing, uh, so the threats are fairly idle. I mean, one, uh, actually we had a conversation briefly before everyone was here about the state of, of legal constraint on cartoonists, and it's, uh, unless it's a, a private individual as opposed to a public individual, unless you're really malicious in going after somebody, there really is no constraint. So my constraints are my own sense of professionalism, and uh, my desire to remain employed, and we can talk more about that later. <laughs> uh, the, the, other, the other great thing about this is uh, I can pick up the newspaper and somebody can basically give me a cartoon. On, on a really good day as a cartoonist, 
you pick up the newspaper and find out that the failing, uh, overweight, out of shape uh, pitching staff of the Boston Red Sox, one prominent member of them, has described himself as a grown ass man. <laughs> you just you don't let something like that go. As, as, as my former colleague Ellen Goodman used to say, when given fish in barrels, shoot. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is a fun change of pace. Most of what I do is is political satire, political commentary, and and I, I think, from my perspective, the, the the world is cartoonist centric in the sense that it was designed for cartoonists. Well, the, the way we have set up our political system, this is this is a couple couple of my basic uh, tenets of uh, of the profession. Uh, we are provided with this wonderful cast of characters that's constantly rotating that is there for our cartooning pleasure. That's the way I look at it. Um, and some of it, you know, is, is comical uh, in itself. Some of it's infuriating. And some of it's quite moving. This is the cartoon I did uh, the day after Obama was elected. Um, the, the, the sense of, of, of sort of historic resonance didn't last that long took office <laughs> and realized uh, the true meaning of his uh, campaign slogan. Um, so that was, that. I mean, we've been really blessed in, in that sense. Uh, his predecessor in particular was uh, a wonderful uh, this is him on his first trip to Europe with uh, <laughs> Powell and Rice. Uh, and even, even more than his mangling of the uh, language was his diversion U.S. foreign policy in a way that turned out to be truly tragic. This is uh, a take on his uh, pronouncement. Mm. So, he, he, he had help, though, uh, his vice president. <laughs> On a slow day, always reach for the vice president. That's, it's, it's one of my rules. Or the would-be vice president. <laughs> Uh, you rarely hear from politicians that you draw. I mean, most of them are, but people like Sarah Palin, there's certain people who make a uh, profession out of being victimized by the press. Not Cartoonists aren't alone in this, but her, her, her complaints about the media I thought were somewhat misplaced. <laughs> the uh, Yes, sir. Once you decide as to how to express uh, a personality in a cartoon, do you ever change it? Do they evolve? Physically. Yeah. Are you talking about the physical depiction or, yes. or, or my, my view of the person as a politician and a leader? <laughs> do I ever change my mind? Is that the question? Well, yes. The <laughs> and, and, and in answer to the first question, uh, they do evolve. They, 
if you look, I, I think this is true of most cartoonists, the early renditions of political figures are fairly straight in the sense that the exaggeration is there, but it's not wild. By the time somebody's been in office, the president's been in office, for instance, for two terms, they, they, they become like an icon. They, they are, the, the distillation, the visual distil, uh, distillation of, of their features uh, has, has been so extreme that they, they're just like a little uh, <coughs> small cartoon character. So, yeah, I, I, it does change. Uh, that's not, that's not uh, I mean, some of the early stuff that I do on, on politicians I don't like to look at because it's not as satisfying, but that's not bad from my point of view of, of, of pale. Uh, not, not, not cruel either. Which is, so, yes? In doing a cartoon, uh, which comes first, the gag line or the image? It completely <coughs> depends on the subject. Uh, you know, some of the some of the uh, some of the drawings come right out of sort of just playing with somebody's uh, face, uh, creating a situation. Um, I think of it as staging a little play, and sometimes you build the set and, and, and cast it, and sometimes <coughs> you write the lines first. And it, it, it's 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 totally arbitrary. I don't. When I'm thinking about it, I don't think well today which one is going to come first. I, I wrestle with a situation and something emerges out of that uh, developing tank, and I'm never quite sure which it's going to be. Do, do you wake up in the morning with lots of ideas, or do you... I wake? wish. <laughs> <laughs> every once in a while, I'll wake up with an idea, or every once in a while, I'll pick up and see Lester's quote and say, this is going to be a great day. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, no, most of it, most of it is, uh, is, is hard work, researching, trying things, Doing a lot of sketches, showing them to people, uh, gauging their reaction. Do you do the cartoon usually on a deadline for that day? Yes. For instance, I'm drawing for tomorrow. I'm here with you at lunch. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm drawing for tomorrow. So, uh, may I ask, what is the relationship between the editorial cartoonist and the editor of the editorial page? I can answer that. I was about to say. <laughs> um, how does that work? I mean, it was excellent. <laughs> I say that, but um, Dan would come to the editorial board meetings and frequently uh, contribute, you know, to the actual uh, written editorials as well. Not writing them himself, but in the conversation and the debate, um, he was a great asset there. But you know, he would come up with an, a cartoon. Sometimes he'd be sketching in the meeting and would show me something right after the meeting, um, or pass it around the the, the boardroom. Um, sometimes it would be later in the afternoon. And um, you know, I mean, you could, you could you may have different perspective, but I would say that the vast majority of them, I would, you know, chuckle, guffaw, you know, scream or something. You know, have a reaction to the cartoon that was this is great. Go go. Scream in the sense of with with, 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 with appreciation, not at me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, just go and and you know go make this permanent, you know, ink this up or whatever you call it. Um, but um, sometimes, you know, it would be a little like, you know, I get this, or, you know, why don't you show this around to some others, and there'd be some editing process, but, um, you know, not as thorough, really, as the written editorials were edited, because uh, the quality of the work was good, you know, so good. Do you have any that Renee rejected in your file there? <laughs> with the, with the uh, Museum of Subversive Art, we call it. Um, decadent Art. Museum of Decadent Art. I had a colleague who co collected all my rejects. <laughs> I don't know that I have anyone that, 
it's labeled rejected by Renee. I can look afterwards. Uh, so it's you know it it has to be it has to be a relationship of trust. Uh, and there was a guy who used to I think his uh, his name is uh, Bill Waller. Used to be the publisher of the Baltimore Sun. Who I, I did a, a a press session with him some years ago, and he said, listen, the basic contract is. I'm, I'm in the business of putting things in the newspaper. I'm not in the business of keeping things out. And I want a cartoonist who's going to push some people's buttons and create a reaction. The other side of the contract is you draw a cartoon that makes the phones jump off the hook. I want you on the other end of the phone talking to people about it. Okay? Don't put a cartoon in the paper that's going to bring down uh, you know, a, a, a firestorm on the paper and then disappear on me. Okay, so you want to put it in there, you stand up for it, I'll stand up for you. That's not a bad deal. I think that's a great, a, a great arrangement to have. And it, 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 it treats the profession with the respect it deserves. Uh, you know, I've had situations where, you know, in the distant past, where, where people have kind of cut and run in, uh, in, in the leadership of, of the newspaper. And, I, I, you know, I think if you go through the approval process, cartoon gets edited, it appears in the paper, the paper ought to stand up for the cartoon. So, uh, yes. So, so does that happen? Do you get complaints on the phone? I've seen some in the editorial page. Yeah, oh, I get I get lots of complaints. In so. fact, <laughs> stand by, <laughs> Vice President. The the high or low watermark, depending on how you're measuring a Vice President. I thought was Dan Quayle. This is when he decided <laughs> decided to give up his campaign to be president himself. Uh, so I. Uh, <laughs> That elicited this, it, it used to be, in the good old days, we'd get handwritten letters or postcards, which I treasure. I have a whole collection of them, okay? Now it's email. It's much more ephemeral. And it doesn't have this kind of character. Uh, can you read this? <laughs> yeah, well, that sort of dates it. Um, but there are some people who, who keep the uh, who keep the angry postcard genre alive. This is just from a couple of years ago. Uh, is it, can you read this in the back? Yeah. Oh. Huh? Anybody need help with this? I, I, I've read it a few times. You got to get down to the kicker there. <laughs> now, the signature is unusual with an abusive thing. Uh, it, Reverend? It, Reverend? No, it's, I don't think it's Reverend. Robert. I think it's Rob. R-W. Rob or Bob. And the reason I think that is this, this is the, um, the other side of that, card, uh, of that postcard. They're trained. They can sniff out cartoonists for half a mile. But this is my all-time favorite angry letter. Uh, you'll see why here. Neatly typed, an old standard typewriter. Uh, complete with zip code signature. He got my name wrong. Well, I think I think that kind of worked out well for me. <laughs> Under the circumstances, I don't know. Dale's family may have. 
I have a deserved reputation for being a left-leaning communist, <coughs> but I, I, I just want to say that I don't uh, discriminate. <laughs> uh, uh, this is our uh, senator here who last time around thought about this. <laughs> got himself in a little trouble. Uh, this is the president here with his effort to try and get the economy going. <laughs> and here he is with the unintended consequences of his changing uh, don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> uh, closer to home. I don't know how many of you are, uh, are permanent Massachusetts residents, but uh, I haven't. <coughs> happened to live down the street from the uh, current governor of uh, Massachusetts. Uh, so sometimes things are kind of awkward walking the dog in the morning. Mm. <laughs> Was this when he first started? Or yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had a very rough uh, time right out, the, right out of the gate. So, uh, Yes, questions. Do you ever censor yourself? And if yes, how? And based on what grounds? Your well, I don't, I don't think it, it, I use the term censorship very specifically. If the government tells me what not to draw, that's censorship. Uh, if my editor tells me what not to draw, uh, that's editing and or cowardice. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and when I make decisions on, on what I'm going to put in the paper, that's just part of um, doing my job well. I don't think of it as censorship. I, I will tell you there are things that other cartoonists do that I will not do. Uh, I'll give you an example. I will not draw cartoons about the children of politicians, okay? Unless they're, you know, unless they're in the political arena in their own right. There was a whole series of cartoons about Chelsea Clinton when the Clintons were in the White House. I mean, I, 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 I didn't give any quarter either to Bill or Hillary. But I didn't think that uh, you know a teenage girl who you know arrived there by accident was was fair game. So uh, that's an example of something I want to. I don't um, make fun of people's religion as religion, uh, whatever my own personal beliefs are. Uh, when when religious figures act in the political arena, as I'll show you in a minute, I'm not afraid to go after them satirically. But I don't just sort of mock people's faith for the sake of mocking people's faith. Uh, How often has it occurred that the, a newspaper has just refused to run something? Of mine? Um, or has oh, yeah. Oh, oh, and I have some cartoons. In fact, I have a couple of cartoons that never appeared in the Boston Globe to show you. Um, it varies with editor, and it varies with publisher, and it varies with the public climate. Uh, and you'd be surprised at the funny kinds of things that get publishers nervous. Uh, so I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but it's an ongoing conversation, uh, and uh, not not always a pleasant one. I mean, I you know, it it, it really uh, it, it it depends a lot on um, how how that conversation is conducted. But but I'll get back to that. So dictators um, are even better than Democrats for, uh, and I, I I have a few. <clears throat> that I wanted to show you, overseas uh, figures. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I can keep running this one, right? That was four years ago. Uh, and then, 
<laughs> this is Jimmy Carter going down to talk to Fidel. <laughs> uh, this is the, uh, the the mob after the Danish cartoons. But let, let me just do a little aside. The Danish cartoon controversy. I actually disagree with a lot of people who are my friends who are cartoonists. Um, they said, "Well, you know, anything goes. Uh, Muslims can't be." Um, immune to satire. My, my feeling is a little bit different, and it gets back to the question of sort of what are my own rules of cartooning. I don't think any mainstream newspaper would publish a cartoon that made fun of the virgin birth or the Torah. Uh, it, it, just, it just wouldn't be done. You wouldn't see it. The cartoons that were done in the Danish cartoon controversy, making fun of uh, Muhammad, were of that character, as far as I'm concerned. They, they went right to the heart of what was most sacred. And if you're going to have that rule that the gloves are off and anybody's fair game, then it seems to me that the rules have to be the same for everybody. So I, I thought that, that it was a deliberate act of provocation to collect those cartoons, commission them, and, and uh, publish them. The reaction to it was completely crazy, uh, you know, and, and beyond the pale. But I, I didn't think that that was uh, such a great moment for uh, Danish journalism. Before you leave that, yeah. it's an interesting thing that <clears throat> the cartoons <coughs> were, were ones that depicted Muhammad. Which yes. Is, but the thing that really seemed to inflame the Middle East was that a group of other cartoons that were never published, that were not done by the cartoonists in Europe, that had the the Prophet Muhammad in very, you know, sexual, very, really obscene kinds of things. This was done as propaganda, and that is what really inflamed the Middle East, because those images were mingled with the ones that actually did appear. Oh, there was a whole Europe. campaign. I mean, don't get me wrong. There, there, there were people who designed this to be a provocation and, and seized on that and completely confused the issue. But... On the, on the no, I take your point. I take your point. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm. Well, here's here's my cartoon. It just shows you the power of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, I, I think the award though for the 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 strangest and most bizarre subject among uh, foreign leaders for cartoons has got to be North Korea. This is one when mm. they first announced that they were testing nuclear weapons. <laughs> <laughs> which brings us to our next, my next corollary, which is uh, it's sometimes very tough to compete with reality. Okay? Uh, and here's a cartoon that, that, that plays off this. During the uh, Bush administration uh, years. I don't know if you remember this. There was there was a short-lived plan to set up a betting pool uh, to try and predict when terrorist attacks <coughs> would take place. The, 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 the government, the government set this up. Uh, in fact, I have incorporated uh, into the cartoon the first couple of paragraphs of the New York Times story. So I don't have to explain it. I'll just show it to you. That's just clipped right out of the Times. <laughs> An online futures trading market. Great. 
<laughs> Defense Advanced Research Projects <laughs> Agency. <laughs> I can't do that too often. <laughs> <laughs> then, then of course, the other thing that you can't really make up or exaggerate very much are the number of people in positions of power who seem to be, in one form or another, sexually deranged. Okay? I'll just give you a, a, a quick reminder. It's Larry Craig. This is completely bipartisan, by the way. Elliot Spitzer. Mark Sanford. <laughs> and you can't do these every day, but they keep, you know, one after another. Uh, I mean, I'm not even going into Andrew Weiner here because this is, this is uh, after a while I got tired. I thought, we, we need one consistent way to deal with this. It also overlapped with the Madoff uh, uh, Ponzi scheme. So I, I drew up a universal remorse form. <laughs> <laughs> um, cartoonists and I think journalists generally uh, the way that they deal with, with these kinds of personal issues was fundamentally changed by Bill Clinton uh, and it just there, there were things that you would never Referred to, in, you know, imply in any way that all of a sudden we're on the front page of every newspaper in the country, in the form of uh, the Star Report and other other accounts. So, uh, I, I guess we owe them a debt. Although I'm not always sure that it's it's the most savory environment in which to operate. But he, the amazing thing to me was that throughout this, he he retained <coughs> huge popularity. This I did this during the Winter Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> um, personally, I like this because it's, it, I mean, its use of words is, is, you know, minimal, and it's, it's like a little piece of pantomime here. Uh, so, which brings me to another of my principles, which is that cartoonists have uh, attachment issues in the sense that we fall in love with these characters as characters and uh, hate to see them go. Uh, after Clinton left office, it coincided with you know, Al Gore's uh, uh, electoral debacle there in Florida. Both of them kind of went into retreat. Bill opened up a, a, an office in Harlem and Al Gore grew his beard out and uh, wandered in the wilderness for some period of time. So I, I put them back together. <laughs> I was happy to see Bill return for Hillary's campaign. There's a mistake in this cartoon, by the way, which has been pointed out to me by a couple of uh, Hillary's fans. Which is that she's wearing a skirt. Skirt, right? Yeah. 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 So that's that's a cartoony <laughs> error. You know, uh, I, I apologize. I'll never do it again. Uh, here she is in a uh, in a uh, wrestling leotard, which I guess is better. <laughs> um, and then there's just some people that you want to draw because they're so much fun to draw. Uh, and 
we've, we've lost uh, this guy. This is James Levine. Uh, when he came from New York to Boston originally, I welcomed him with this, uh, this cartoon uh, working off the New York-Boston rivalry. <laughs> Some people never go away. Mitt Romney. I think I'll have him forever. <laughs> you notice a few of these cartoons are in color. Um, it's completely arbitrary the days that I have color available. It's usually on the weekends, and it's when advertisers buy color ads that wrap around on the same page as the editorial page. Okay, you, you would think there would be some other reason that cartoons would be in black or white color, but there is not. Um, even I get tired of these elections once in a while, and I imagine that other people uh, watching the interminable campaigns do as well, so I occasionally express my sympathy with every man. <laughs> and then there are cartoons where you really literally say goodbye to people because they have died, people who have been uh, influential in public life. And they're often, often sort of respectful and reverent, uh, like when Rosa Parks died a couple years ago. I did this. Uh, when ten, Ted Kennedy died in the middle of the health care debate. You see a sort of pearly gates theme here. <laughs> but they're not always that laudatory. Uh, lifelong homophobe Jerry Falwell died, and I decided to send him to a slightly different heaven. <laughs> uh, which gets us to uh, what's funny about religion. I showed you the, uh, the Danish cartoon controversy before, but it can be um, cause consternation uh, at home. I did this cartoon when uh, Martin Scorsese did the movie Last Temptation of Christ, and Cardinal Law told the faithful not to watch it. It turned out that he had never seen the movie, and um, I did this cartoon, and it it was probably the second biggest reaction to any cartoon I've done. The other one was also on the church. Uh, but uh, people were furious. And it, it was kind of interesting to me because I didn't think that this was a particularly savage cartoon. But what became clear is there's a significant number. Band. Huh? Not the black band? No, no. What it is is something much more abstract, which is that for a lot of people who are uh, believers and and faithful, anything that has to do with humor and their religion is off limits. In other words, it almost doesn't matter what you put up there. You could just write Catholic Church joke, okay? And, I mean, I'm not trying to single out just the Catholic Church, but whatever the Muslims, you know, haha, and and it, it, it would be equally as offensive. The, the notion that their uh, leaders, their religious leaders, are subject to satire and ridicule is, uh, I mean, they think it's blasphemous, they think it's disrespectful, they think, uh, I mean, this also connects to a long-standing troubled relationship between the paper and the Catholic Church in, mm -hmm. in Boston. Uh, 
into which this cartoon fell, and I probably wasn't sufficiently aware of that. Uh, yes, sir. Especially they're a right-wing or conservative cartoonist. Do you, uh, you ever read them, or which other cartoonists do you read and why? Um, there are some very good uh, conservative cartoonists. Uh, I would say the best in my lifetime, now deceased, was a guy named Jeff McNelly, who drew for the Chicago Tribune, who was brilliant and funny and uh, a master draftsman. Um, there's a guy now who uh, draws for Investors Business Daily, formerly in Los Angeles, whose name is Mike Ramirez, who's extremely, uh, you know, he's a complete uh, free market Republican and uh, is, is also got a very powerful pen. Uh, there are others, so on. I, I look at their, I mean, I look at lots of cartoons. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a student of the, of the form, and uh, among the people that I like the most, Tom Tolles in, 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 uh, at the Washington Post, uh, Mike Lukovich, who's at the Atlanta Constitution, uh, Sidney Wilkinson, who's at the Philadelphia Daily News, uh, Joel Pett in Lexington. So uh, it's... Um, a shrinking but close fraternity, and in one or two cases, sorority of uh, it's mostly male, uh, which is a whole another interesting question. Yes, how do you avoid repeating a joke or an image that you did before? And if you're looking at a lot of cartoonists, how do you avoid something, an image that's maybe back in the mind, in the back of your mind that you might inadvertently borrow? Is yeah, that's a very good question. I don't look at cartoons that are of this week. In other words, when I'm working on a cartoon, what am I going to do now about, you know, I don't know, the, the, the Greek debt crisis? I don't want to be looking at somebody else's, you know, use of, you know, the Parthenon to symbolize whatever it is that they're they're working on. So I try not to look at cartoons that are contemporary. I mean, and most of the stuff that I'm doing is of this week's news, and you know, obviously some of these themes come back. But for the very reason that you can get something stuck in your head that sort of blocks the synapses. How can I do something better than this? This is the perfect image. You don't want to be doing that. How do you avoid repeating yourself? Um, I'm not sure you always do. I mean, I, I, I think there are probably cartoons that I have you know, reconfigured that I did 20 years ago because they're still relevant. I figure, that's okay. I figure every 20 years you can repeat yourself. <laughs> I mean, ask somebody who writes editorials for a living how often they repeat themselves. You know? They go a couple of months without saying the same thing and they're doing well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not Xeroxing the same cartoon and putting it in there. And, and hopefully I bring something new to it, either in the drawing or the setting or, or whatever it is. But um, I'm, I'm not talking about a literal lifting. But a lot of these themes, I mean, they're... You think of the number of ways that you can try and depict the, uh, the destructive nature of capital punishment, uh, if that's what you believe, or uh, something about the, the income gap. You're, you're, you're going back to a, a well of the same kinds of images and concerns. There's going to be some overlap. Yes, sir. Is, is the idea person always the cartoonist? I've, I've always often wondered if the person who has the idea for the cartoon but can't draw can, you know, just, is there, does, is that something that, that That's a good question. Um, cartoons get made? Most editorial cartoonists do their own thinking, writing, and drawing, okay? Um, it's different in comic strips. You'll often see two names on a comic strip. Uh, uh, 
and one of those is, is usually the writer and the other is, is, is the artist. Although I think they, they, they probably collaborate on both. But uh, editorial cartoonists do their own work. Occasionally somebody will suggest an idea, a friendly editor, uh, a reader. I tell people I, I take maybe one in a hundred. Uh, uh, I mean, people, I, I haven't even brought one with me. People's idea of what constitutes cartoon is, uh, is uh, often quite wild. It, it tends to be kind of um, linear as opposed to, I mean, the whole, the, the trick to this is compression, distillation, trying to find some way to make it, to, 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 to nest things very neatly together, not to have a long, strung out thing. I mean, you can write a column if you want to do that, but uh, here's somebody from Cleveland Heights wrote me uh, with a suggestion. Democrats represent the donkey grazing behind the elephant sitting on the seesaw. The Constitution is crushed on the elephant's ass and the seesaw, which is the Bill of Rights, is the only solid thing holding up the mouse who is high up on the other end of the seesaw. Okay. That's the first paragraph. So you see, you see why I try and discourage people from, from the expectation that I'm going to take their ideas. Every once in a while, somebody will call up who thinks like me, we're on the same wavelength, the subject is appropriate. And I'll actually, you know, use the idea and send them the original. But it's 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 rare. So uh, it, this is a kind of personal expression, and and it's 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 unusual that that coincides with somebody else's uh, point of view or sensibility. Um, this is a cartoon, a, a non-religious cartoon that set off a. Uh, a, a lot of discussion and a lot of anger. This, I don't know if you remember this, uh, there was a, a kid killed here um, about three years ago at a gun show when he was an eight-year-old kid allowed to handle a machine gun and, and uh, lost control of it and killed himself. Um, so I, I, I did this. Um, and there's a question of, you know, is this a subject for humor several days after this kid has been killed? I would argue yes. Uh, I would argue that this is not uh, uh, aimed at the kid. It's, it has to do with the, uh, the, the organizers of the gun expo, one of whom happened to be the local police chief. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's not funny in, 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 in the way that some of these other cartoons are, but I think this is, this is an important commentary. And I answered lots and lots of phone calls and letters about people who were upset by this cartoon. Now, were they upset because of your point of view or because the child? Um, it was sometimes hard to tease out which was which, but <coughs> but there were people who said, there's a child dead, there's no reason to use that as a subject for humor. And I said, well, there's a huge you know, neglect of responsibility on the part of the adults who allowed this to happen, and that's the subject of the cartoon, not the child's death. Um, there were people who thought that I was using this as a cheap way to restrict gun freedom. Uh, and there were people who called me up who were in the NRA and said, listen, I'm in the NRA and I'm against gun control, but you're absolutely right here. These people had no idea what they were doing. It's totally irresponsible. Gun safety you know, is one of the, the sort of premier things that we teach. And regardless of which side of gun control you're on, you're, you're, uh, you're right on with this part too. So it was a whole spectrum of opinion. And it was a very lively debate, both on my phone line and on the uh, the Boston.com site. Um, so, uh, uh, getting back to your question about cartoons that appear or don't appear in the paper, um, 
the next one I'm about to show is um, about hometown hero Doug Flutie, who was hired by the New England Patriots during the NFL strike of uh, many years ago now. We'll say that right here. Um, um, that never ran in the Globe. Uh, it was not my period, not my time. No, no, no. Renee, Renee bears no responsibility for the fact. I wouldn't have understood it because <laughs> <laughs> you understood the scab part, right? Uh, aren't you an old union maid? Uh, <laughs> uh, so you know, Flutie was the smallest quarterback. So it's 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 uh, the the big problem uh, was that the publisher didn't like going after Flutie, particularly at a time when the publisher was dealing with his own labor issues at the paper. And just the whole package made him uneasy. He said, we're not running that. So uh, that's in the unexpurgated works. The next cartoon uh, I did uh, when Gary Hart was running for uh, president, and the rumors abounded that he was unfaithful to his wife, Lee. And I had it on pretty good authority from Washington reporters who knew him well in his social circle and so on. So I drew this cartoon. This this was kind of the way he was pitching himself as, as a candidate, as the heir to the <laughs> So I drew it and I showed it to my editor and he said, you're not putting that in the newspaper. And I said, really? He said, yeah, it's a smear. It's not substantiated, it hasn't been proven, it hasn't been reported out, you can't put that in the paper. And I thought, you know, he has a point. My willingness to concede the point was uh, was reinforced by my sense that the story was absolutely true and that this cartoon was going to be useful within a couple of weeks anyway. Because <laughs> there, there were people dogging this story. And sure enough, two weeks later, front page of the Miami Herald and every other paper in the country, there was Gary Hart with Donna Rice on the boat called The Monkey Business. Okay, it was, you know, the photo was there and the whole sad story. Um, so I'd already drawn the cartoon. I took it out of my, usually I do not draw ahead. Uh, I, I got no safety net, but on this particular day, I, I, I felt very fortunate. I pulled it out, went upstairs, uh, and I said, I'm in for the day. And it was the deputy editor, and she looked at the cartoon, she goes, no, 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 no. You're not putting that in the paper. I said, what are you talking about? I said, it's all over the front page. It's the biggest story going. I, how could this be unfair to Gary Hart? And she said, no, no, no. It's not unfair to Gary Hart. It's unfair to FDR and JFK. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a very Boston moment. I want to show you one more cartoon of controversy and then find out uh, if you have other questions, thoughts. Um, I did this, I, I opened with some cartoons about uh, the foreclosure uh, mm. and the banks. I did this cartoon um, about the Museum of Fine Arts that gave, generously gave a lot of money to open up uh, a new wing of the MFA. Um, and I had a little fun with them about what was in the uh, exhibit. Bank of America gave money to this. Yeah, what did I say? MFA. Gave money to the MFA. Yeah, sorry. See? Always an editor. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> The Bank of America gave 10 million bucks to build the uh, the new wing of the. Uh, and what I didn't know was that, and I knew it was opening soon. What I didn't know was that the Boston Globe was publishing a 56-page glossy collaborative guide to the exhibit with the MFA 
that was coming out in the Sunday paper in which this cartoon was scheduled to run. <laughs> so uh, the cartoon was held over my objections. It ran a week later, which I was happy about. But uh, there was a little, a little interplay there between the paper's corporate citizenship and its journalistic mission that created a little bit of friction. So I want to uh, just read you one thing uh, quickly, uh, and then I want to get whatever other questions you may have. This this is um, my final rule here. Politicians need cartoonists desperately, and I have Exhibit A here, which is an exchange I had with the Clinton White House uh, when they sent out this letter to cartoon, not just to me, but to all cartoonists. I'll read it. It's a little small. It says. Dear cartoonist, every week the White House News Analysis Department compiles and then distributes political cartoons to key White House officials. These clintoons <laughs> provide comic relief for many White House staffers. Numerous interns and volunteers gather and collect the cartoons from various newspapers nationwide, and this process can become highly time-consuming and tedious. To make this process more efficient, we are asking cartoonists to submit copies of political cartoons directly to our office. If you agree to do this, please have your cartoons mailed to so-and-so. Should you have any questions, please contact Carol Levy, blah, blah, blah. She'll get in touch with you soon to follow up on this letter. We also encourage you to inform other cartoonists of our interests. Thank you for your assistance. We look forward to working with you in the future. Sincerely, so-and-so. I thought this was a little weird for a number of reasons. First of all, a little narcissistic, you know, all of it, sitting around looking at cartoons themselves. And a little big brotherish. We're supposed to, before we put them in our newspapers, send cartoons directly to the White House. So I replied. And the glow was nice. They, they, they put the two, news, uh, two letters together on the opinion page. Uh, my reply read as follows. Dear Keith Boykin, thank you for your letter of March 18th. I would be happy to comply with your request, provided we can work out a reciprocal agreement. <laughs> Every week, cartoonists across the country sort through numerous news outlets to identify the Clinton administration's latest gaps, missteps, and broken promises in order to assemble the material for what you refer to as Clinton. As you can no doubt appreciate, this process can become highly time <laughs> and tedious to make this process more efficient. Cartoonists are asking that you send advance notice of White House blunders and bugling directly to our office. We also encourage you to inform other offices of the executive branch of our interest. Thank you for your assistance. We look forward to working with you in the future. <laughs> um, the only response I got was indirect, which is that Keith Boykin, who was prevailed upon somehow to sign that letter, I, I don't know the man, uh, left, left uh, the White House a few months after that. <laughs> I saw him actually on CNN as a commentator during the last election cycle, so reinvented himself. But no, I got no direct response. Yes, sir. How has the email, internet, social media changed your work? Um, I get many, many, many more responses to my cartoons online than I than I ever got before. Uh, even even with email, I mean, people who are motivated can find out what my email address is, and, and been able to do that for years. And, and I get a sort of sampling that would go up and down with the temperature of the cartoon. But now, uh, almost every cartoon I put up online, there there are people who comment on it. I must say that the quality of the commentary is pretty dreadful. 
uh, I, I don't think this is unique to me or to cartoons. It's just I don't think as a profession we kind of solved the problem of how to have democracy wall where people are talking with each other as opposed to screaming at each other. And um, so even good comments tend to get drowned out and I think thoughtful people tend to get driven away. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of moderated comment boards. I, I think you know, we've always done that. Our letters to the editor are not just screaming screeds. Anonymous. Hmm? And anonymous. Yeah, and anonymous as well. So uh, that's changed. I mean, I, I do use social media. I do send some of my stuff out that way. It bounces around. Um, I think there's a multiplier effect, which I like. I like my work to be seen. It is syndicated, but, but I think it gets out more quickly uh, on the web. What about the produc actual production of your cartoons? Has the that more information available? Has that changed, do you think? My research, my, my research uh, is much quicker. I mean, Google and, and the ability to, I mean, used to be when I needed to draw somebody, I had to go down to the, to the Globe Library and go through the morgue and find the photos and sign them out and so on. Now, click, 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 Google Images. You know, there's, there's Herman Cain, you know, six different, you know, three-quarter front side, you know. So, yes, sir. Uh, <clears throat> certain cartoons like uh, Doonesbury and Tank McNamara appeared initially as comics, but because of their political nature, they were sort of kicked off the comic page. Tank McNamara is on the sports page. Right. The stuff that Aaron Magruder does is <coughs> uh, on the comics page because of his political nature. Why is that? What's the determination? You know, where the multiple cell political cartoons go? Um, well, multiple cell, to answer your second question first, they, I, I don't show a lot of them here because I, they're harder to read and so on, but I, I think I showed one of Kerry and one of Clinton. I do a lot of multiple panel cartoons, and they're, they're fine on the editorial page. The question about comics that are very political and pointed, it depends on the newspaper. I, I, the, the, it's always a sign to me that newspapers got a, uh, is a little squeamish if they put Gary Trudeau on the op-ed page. You know, I, I just... He's a comic strip artist. The, the, the history of comic strips that are good satire is, is a rich history. If you, if you think back to Walt Kelly and Pogo and the stuff that he did there, I mean, it was brilliant political satire. Very, very tough. So uh, I, I'm, I'm always nervous about a paper that can't take a little bit of uh, political heat on the, on the comics page. Uh, so Tank McNamara is a different story. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I like the strip. I think they use it to attract readers to the sports page. I don't think it's been so much kicked off out of cowardice as, as used as a, as a kind of extra feature for sports. So. Do you, <clears throat> looking ahead, do you think that the editorial cartoon will survive in a digital age? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, if you look at web pages and you, and you look at uh, newspaper sites and aggregator sites, uh, they're highly visual and they're looking for things that, that, that are arresting and attract readers. And they're looking for things that are opinionated. I mean, I, I, I think both those things argue strongly in favor of the survival of the medium. The question of people making a living doing it, I mean, is the same question I think print journalists in general have. Uh, we've been very lucky that we've had these profitable newspapers to support the art form if they start to dwindle or if they start to kind of retreat in their, in their commitment to, 
pungent commentary, I think that's a problem. But I, I, you know, there's a huge appetite for this, and it's one of the most popular things on websites. And a lot of websites collect cartoons, so you can go through and, and see things on a particular subject or by a given artist. Are you able to be paid through your syndication if somebody puts your cartoon on their website? Less and less. I mean, it's it's a it's a kind of. Um, it's not an intellectual property. Yeah, no, no, I mean, you know, unless somebody's stealing the cartoon, there, there's a few pennies. By less and less, I mean the amount of money that people are, are willing to pay has gone down. Syndication used to be something that was, that was uh, uh, much more profitable than it is now. I mean, for everybody. And, uh, you know, websites pay much less than newspapers and so on. So uh, when I say it's less and less, it's not that it's appearing less, but just as, as, a, as, a, as a financial proposition. How yes. Many, how many papers are you syndicated in? About 40. 40. And if, what about if it's local, if it's Boston-oriented? Do they take that too? No. No, that's... Okay. that's. They just take... You know, I don't send the Boston-specific stuff out because I don't think it's okay. of interest. And sure. Okay. I try and do a, a good bunch of those because mm -hmm. uh, that often gets the most reaction. Sure. People okay. care about things locally. Okay. Yes? I read the Globe and Print, so I don't know the answer to this. Are your cartoons behind the paywall or not? Uh, what do you think the answer that? is both. At the moment, the, uh, I think most of you probably know the Globe has split its web presence into Boston.com, which is a free site, and BostonGlobe.com, which is a subscriber site. And my cartoons currently appear in both places. <laughs> so uh, the easiest way to find my cartoons, I find, is Boston. Boston.com slash Wasserman. I write it on, on my cartoons uh, that appear in print. Uh, so it's, um, so it's a little confusing, I think, to, to have it in two places, but it's more exposure, more reaction, slightly different audiences. Other, other thoughts, questions? Yes? Um, how do you watch the process of generating ideas? And do you usually submit initial ideas in ink, or do you go through several pencil stages? Um, the process is a bit of a mystery to me. I mean, I can sort of, I, I don't know exactly how it works, but I, I read the Globe and the Times, I listen to the radio. I'm not a big television guy. I don't find that a useful way to get information. Uh, and uh, then I start drawing. I have this big sketchbook, which uh, is just my space for exploration. And I take notes, I draw, scenes, I draw snippets, I sketch, and somehow out of that uh, stew, things start to bubble up that are interesting to me. Um, and I maintain some sense of what's important in the news, what would people be looking for a commentary on, whether it's something light and local, uh, whether it's something global. I make an effort to try and change both pace and tone and subject. So it's not the same thing all the time. I, I, it becomes predictable. It becomes less effective, it seems to me. And then I do do a bunch of sketches. And I have people whose opinion I respect that I show them to. Because, you know, you spend a couple hours coming up with something. You can really be talking to yourself. Uh, and you have something that you think is really funny. And you show it to people and you get this complete blank look. Uh, you realize you have to start over. So when I've done a little test marketing, then uh, and, and feel fairly secure, I'll run it by the editor and say, this is what I'm planning to do. And in most cases, that's that's a smooth process. When it's not, it's a longer day. So what's for tomorrow? 
I have no idea. Uh, anybody wants to give me a suggestion, as long as it's brief, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm open to ideas. We're out of time. Ben, thank you so much, man. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.